Welcome to episode 35 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my co-host, and the man who single-handedly runs the blended program here at Grace College and Theological Seminary, and would love to tell you more about it if you gave him the chance. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to tell you more about the blended program. It's John Sloat. How you doing, Matt? Well, I'm conflicted, John. I'll be honest. I'm conflicted. Conflicted about? Well, the weather is beautiful. And we're, we're starting to feel a little bit more the transition to fall-like conditions as opposed to the oppressive heat of the summer, which sure. I'm, I'm very pleased with. But I, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little melancholic about something. Melancholic? I am, yeah. About what? We have now gone almost three weeks with no new reviews mm. of the pod. I'm sorry. That must be hard for you. It is. It is. I, I'm, I'm trying not to let that affect me and— you know, because we are trained professionals, we'll move forward without uh, without that. But you know, if you if you'd like to if you'd like to make me happy, you could do me a favor, do us a favor, do humanity a favor wow. by leaving a five star review and a lovely, lovely um, review. That would be great. And in all seriousness, that does help other people find the podcast, the podcast app, and others have this very deeply complex algorithm that somehow takes into account reviews and ratings and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, and uh, people are learning about the podcast. We, we were just looking at our statistics, and we're getting downloads from states that we don't, we don't know who the people who are downloading. So if you're out there, thank you. And, and send us an email. Send us a tweet. We'd love to know who you are and what drew you to the podcast. Yeah, um, we are recording on Monday afternoons, the last day of August. And so August has been the biggest month of the podcast to date. Yeah. So we are thrilled. And so uh, that is what gets me out of my melancholy when I think <laughs> about the lack of recent uh, ratings and reviews. I do reflect on the wonder that uh, more and more people are finding the show. If you would like to reach out to us, you can connect with us on Twitter at Pod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook page, so you can look us up on that as well. So, John, here we are, uh, end of August, beginning of September. And uh, what's going on in the world of sports here? What are we, what are we dealing with? Um, well, probably, probably at the top of the list, we need to talk about the NBA playoffs. Um, I, I lack cable at my house. So watching the NBA playoffs has been difficult, more Sports radio, box scores, those sorts of things. Um, most of the first round is over. Uh, there was a brief couple-day pause <laughs> yeah. this last week for yep. uh, for some uh, protesting. Yep. Um, however, series seem to be back underway, and uh, and uh, and things are things are progressing. Any any surprises in the first round for you? Well, I think that um, so far everything uh, is is going according to chalk. Um, I think I can't, I can't remember that Heat and Pacers matchup. That was a four five, and I can't. I know the Heat won that, but I can't remember if the Heat were the four or the five. No, uh, the Heat were the five. Okay, so yeah, I guess that's technically not chalk, but you know, in a four five series, four, five it's a toss up. Yeah, anyway. totally. But there are still, as of our recording, two first round series still underway um rockets and thunder 
They play on, uh, well, by the time you listen to this, they'll already played, but that series is 3-2 Rockets and even more uh, tightly contested, Jazz and Nuggets. Nuggets are the three seed, yeah. Jazz are the six seed, and yet the Jazz jumped out to a 3-1 lead in this series, and now the Nuggets have climbed all the way back, and that game is on Tuesday night uh, for the decisive Game 7. And Jamal Murray has been... Yeah, incredible. Er, early in the series, um, Donovan Mitchell for the Jazz was playing out of his mind, scoring around 50 points, and almost single-handedly carrying them to that 3-1 lead. I like me some Donovan Mitchell. And then later in this series, last few games, Jamal Murray for the Nuggets has just been hitting absolutely everything and carrying the Nuggets. And so now we're at 3-3, and you have the two magic words in sports, right? Game Game seven. seven. Yeah. Winner takes all. So... Uh, there's been some good uh, NBA playoff action there. The um, Another noteworthy thing from the NBA playoffs, the Clippers did advance over the Mavericks, but Luka Doncic kind of had his coming out party on the bigger stage. I mean, obviously, people who follow the NBA know who he is, but the fact that he had such a dominant playoff series um, kind of, I think, raised his profile even beyond what it was before. Yeah, and I, th- I think he proved a little bit that w- with the right pieces around him, he can win. He's not just scoring points, but but he yeah. can actually win basketball games and yep. potentially take a team deep. Yeah, I think he's established himself as the kind of guy who you can build a franchise around and need to put one more kind of star player with him. And I think the big question for the Mavericks is, is Kristaps Porzingis going to be capable of being that number two, that sort of robin to the batman of uh of uh Doncic. and can he stay healthy yeah well that's part of it though isn't it like yeah. you can have all the talent in the world if you want but if you can't stay healthy then it doesn't really matter yeah. ultimately so those have been entertaining uh games uh to watch uh tell me about your mets what's going on with your mets yeah um it's it's more of the same you know just uh we're back to play uh end of last week we were back to play a little bit um, from being on a COVID break. But luckily, only two people in the organization got it. It didn't spread to anybody else. So the team is mostly healthy. Um, however, they, they're going through some up and downs. The big news, though, is that A-Rod and J-Lo have exited the picture for purchasing the team. And uh, Steve Cohen, the like 15th richest man in the world, is going to step in and buy or, or something along those lines. And uh, he's he's got a lot of money. Uh, he's got money on money, and he's uh, going to pour it into the team, and we're we're all super excited. So he's barring a vote by other owners to like kick him out. He's mm-hmm. going to be the new owner. He's going to install an analytics department, uh, like he had at his hedge fund, and and all sorts of things. So we're we're pretty excited. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to see these businessmen come in and take over a, a, a professional sports franchise, and what kind of um, role they play in the organization how hands-on mm-hmm. versus hands-off they are you know is he going to be more jerry jones like in terms of yeah that's a great question you know deep dive into it or daniel snyder's another example from the washington redskins jerry jones of the dallas cowboys uh, or is he going to be more hands-off of just make me money and put a good product on the field and i'll kind of stay out of the day-to-day operations yeah it seems the sense is he's going to spend and he will buy the team as the richest MLB owner out there. And, and so, that ma- 
explain why that matters more in baseball than other sports. Well, there's no salary cap, yeah. so so you can just you know you just outbid everybody on the best player and and, and bring them in. Now there is a sort of soft salary cap. There's though, a luxury tax, where if you get if you're yeah if your salary if your uh, if your salary goes beyond a certain number, then the franchise has to pay a like it's called a luxury tax. Yeah. So there is some measure of penalty, but you more than make that up if you're actually very successful and get into the playoffs and make deep runs and win championships. Well, and I, I think Major League Baseball teams ultimately lose money for owners. I mean, it, you have to be a bit of a fan if you want to if you if you want to if you want to if you want to own a team. Where they make the money is when they sell the team because the value of the teams have just. I mean, just soared. I, I I think the Mets sold for two point six billion or, or something like that, and that's a team that's made the playoffs uh, three times in the last fifteen years. Yeah, though it is in the largest uh, media market in the country. That's right. Yeah, which which is which is handy. You know, yeah. it, it's seen as a gem, uh, a potential gem, right. of an organization that just needs to be managed properly. And I, I think so much of what's happened in the last couple of years can be chalked up to mismanagement. Yeah, in a lot of ways. So hopefully he comes in, cleans house, and uh, we can write the ship. Hope springs eternal for the Mets fan. Here. That's right. <laughs> Let's go. Speaking of of uh, franchises that need some hope, tell me about the Jets. We've got the NFL theoretically starting up in a week, right? Like yeah, not it, this week, but next week, next Thursday, the tenth, September tenth, is the kickoff game. As far as we know, like there's been no. And I, I saw that on the rundown tonight. I just went, oh my goodness, really? There's usually so much more hype. And I think we're normally like sort of in kind of the dull part of the MLB season. Yeah. We're, there's no basketball there's traditionally. There's no basketball traditionally. And no hockey. No hockey. Hockey's still going on, although I haven't, I, haven't watched, yeah. I haven't watched no. too much hockey. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, fo- football's kind of flying under the radar as far as I can tell. And maybe that's a good thing in, in the midst. Yeah, it, it feels like more of the national discussion has been on the college level because of Pac-12, Big Ten canceling, uh, other conferences pushing seasons back. Sure. Um, but the the college football season has actually started. There were college football games over the weekend. Now we're talking like uh, not the power conferences, but some smaller schools actually played some college football over the weekend. I think Austin P yeah. kicked off the kicked off the college football season. Exactly. That powerhouse known as Austin P. Um but uh on the college football front, now the Big Ten is floating ideas about starting their season in November. Speaking of mismanaged. Oh my god. Let's talk about the way the Big Ten has mismanaged okay. this. I said this to my to my lovely wife. For years to come in MBA programs around the world, primarily probably in the U.S., but this this is going to be a case study in an absolute management leadership failure. It's going to be a dump. It's it's such a dumpster fire. This is going to be. It's not on the same level. Please hear me clearly. It's not on the same level. But you know the, the rollout of New Coke back in the eighties, mm. like that's become a classic study in business circles and business schools about group think and all this kind of stuff and how it was a terrible idea, but no one had the guts to say it because, sure. well, this is going to be the next one. It's not on the same level as new Coke kind of stuff, but it's not far off if you start to think about the money involved. Yeah. And so 
Um, yeah, now the Big Ten is talking about, well, maybe we could start the season Thanksgiving and go like Thanksgiving into like February, play a championship game in March. And that's raising all the questions of, well, they still couldn't participate in the college football playoff at that point, right? No. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, Lee from Indiana started throwing shade at me uh, on Twitter for waiting for me to argue for a 4-0 Ohio State team to make the college football playoff over an 8-1 Notre Dame team when that time comes, to which I should have tweeted back, why are you so confident that Notre Dame will be 8-1? But that's another conversation, I suppose. I would still bet on the 4-0 Buckeye team over the 8-1 Notre Dame team. In terms of who's the better team? Yes. Goodness, yes. Goodness, yes. Okay. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if the NFL starts next Thursday, right? I mean— Yeah, it seems to have snuck up on us. I haven't heard anything from my fantasy football team, my fantasy football league, or anything like that. Did you already draft? No, we haven't drafted at all. Because I know my son is in—both my sons are in in different fantasy leagues, and I think some of them drafted and some haven't. And part of what's weird, too, is there's no preseason games. Yeah, it— we're missing that buildup, the natural buildup. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a weird start to the sports fall season here. Yeah, yeah stupid coronavirus. All right. Well, let's transition. Let's <laughs> let's get into our main topic, Doc. What's our main topic today? We're talking about friendship today, John. Okay, our friendship, other people's friendships, what, as a philosophical <laughs> category. What are we talking? How so? Just broad strokes friendship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't think the audience needs a uh, deep dive on our particular friendship, mm-hmm. as, as as great as it is. But, um, you know, we've we've talked about um, a variety of things in on the show. We've talked about um, family and um, you know marriage to some degree, and when we've talked in in part at at various points, whether it was in episode zero or even last week during the Q and A. Um, we have mentioned that really part of the genesis of this podcast is our friendship. Absolutely, yeah. And so um, we thought it would be good. We've always kind of had this in mind at some point to talk about, and this week felt as good as any to talk about just the big-picture topic of friendship. So, John, maybe let's start with um, why is friendship so important? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a whole lot of answers to that. Um, historically— uh, friendship was the social net uh, of uh, of the people. There wasn't uh, welfare. There wasn't uh, any any sort of government to, to lift people up in the midst of struggles or poverty or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so people would rely on friends in order to uh, move them forward. Uh, but uh, but I, I particularly enjoy uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis um, that I uh, that he mentions that. Friendship really has no reasoning. Uh, it has no tangible purpose, but it's it's one of the things that gives uh, uh, it gives flavor to, to life itself. Um, so let me uh, let me go ahead and read that. Uh, I have no duty uh, to be anyone's friend, and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. Uh, for God did not need to create. Uh, it has no survivable value. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. Hmm. Um, and so that's that's from his book, The Four Loves, which uh, yeah. has a chapter on friendship, which is is super helpful. But yes, I love that last line there. It gives value to survival. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting take. 
Any, anything else you'd add to uh, why is this important? Well, I think that um, in some ways it goes back to um, how God wired us. God mm-hmm. wired us to be part of a uh, part of a community, mm-hmm. and um, in in one sense that goes all the way back to Genesis two. And um, you know, oftentimes when we talk about Genesis two, we focus on the marriage piece of it, right? Sure. But there's more to it than that. I think that that text lays the foundation for God did not create us as isolated individuals. And obviously, marriage is the sort of the focal point and the cornerstone of, of, of that in some ways. But um, our need for community goes beyond what a spouse can provide, I think. And, mm-hmm. even, and, and I think that uh, friendship is something that... Um, is such a valuable piece of life in this world, and yet oftentimes it feels like it's something that is assumed and sort of just sort of taken for granted rather than directly talked about in terms of what is what does a good friendship look like? How do we pursue good friendships? How do we build friendships? Those kinds of things. Why does it matter that we have good friends? Those kinds of realities. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good word. We're, we're absolutely built for that. We absolutely need them. However, it seems to be a back burner at times. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you when you think about uh, descriptions of this in the Bible, I mean, in one sense, you've got multiple Proverbs that talk about the value of sure. friendship. Iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another, um, which, by the way, shout out to our own pastor, uh, Mark Goodwin, who preached an excellent sermon on that a couple weeks ago at Christ's Covenant Church. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, Jesus says in John fifteen thirteen, uh, greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. He's calling his disciples his friends. And so there are those kinds of texts, and, um, and maybe one of the clearest sort of— uh, lived out examples is the example of David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel. Sure. And um, their their friendship and, and the value that that had to both of them. So those are some of the texts that come to mind when I think biblically of what does friendship look like? What, why is it important? Why is it valuable? Sure. I, I think I naturally go to the Proverbs, like you mentioned. Um, there just seem to be a handful of them throughout, throughout the book that, that speak to friendship. Um, and it's it's youthful usefulness, you know. Uh, faithful are the words of a friend, uh, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, saying that a friend is meant to tell you the truth, even though yeah. it hurts. Yeah. Um, an enemy may not do do so. Right. Yeah, and even even in that context, you think about why that person tells you the truth. Mm-hmm. The purpose of a friend telling you the truth is for your good and for your benefit. The purpose of the enemy doing it is for your detriment and for your harm, essentially. Sure. Truth can be used to benefit someone or to harm someone, depending on how it's used and how it's expressed. And so, um, yeah, the, there's there's a lot of good content on friendship in the Proverbs. Um, so there's a lot of different ways we can go with this conversation. Um, what, what do you? Well, let's, let's talk about some of the threats to friendship. Okay. Well, when you think about um, why is it maybe increasingly difficult in our culture to make good friends? Or, um, you know, I've, I've read some research that indicates that 
over the past probably 25 years, they've they've sort of done surveys to the effect that indicate that the number of people that uh, say they have more than one or two good close friends continues to shrink. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are some threats do you think to, to friendship that you see? Yeah. Uh, some, something that comes to mind is I think we have lost, um, at least in a, in American society to a certain extent, the, the community organization, uh, that, that you're a part of. So for, for example, uh, my, my dad was telling me the story that, uh, my grandfather, and I didn't know this, my grandfather was a vi- volunteer firefighter hmm. um, in his youth in, in New York and used to go every summer, even after he stopped being a firefighter, uh, to the to like the, the cookouts they do every year. And yeah. my grandfather would play horseshoes into the night with his friends <laughs> in, in tournaments and whatnot with yeah. all these volunteer yeah. firefighters. And my dad said, yeah, I remember my, my mom or my grandmother putting him to sleep in the car while my grandfather was finishing up his horseshoe <laughs> tournaments. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of some of those types of um, events seem to be lost in in perhaps maybe um, the busyness of our world, yep. or or in the hyper individualistic side of our world. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's one thing that I think has we, we've lost friendship um, yeah. through that. Um, yeah. what, what, what do you think are are some threats? Yeah, I think the busyness comes into play. Um, I think. Our culture continues to um, seem to have such a high value and emphasis on productivity. Yeah. And friendship and productivity don't often match up very well. Yeah. That if you're gonna if you're gonna make productivity this ultimate value of you just need to be efficient, you need to be productive, then you're probably not gonna prioritize spending relational time with people. Because the productivity and relational time with people don't tend to necessarily go together very cleanly. I'll give, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, when all the stay-at-home orders were coming down uh, mm-hmm. in the United States, I saw an article upon article upon article about, hey, this is a great time to get your side hustle in order. This is a great yeah. time to do this. this is, yeah. And I didn't see very many articles, any that I can think of off the top of my head, that were like, this is a good time to call old friends and reconnect. Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, I think I think that's that's a huge one. There's yeah. a huge value on productivity. And I would add as well, um, our as our culture and society has gotten more and more mobile, mm-hmm. it becomes harder and harder to make and maintain friendships. I think. Yeah. You know, if you think back to generations of my family are from the same small area in Ohio. Sure. And it was my generation that's probably moving away from that area. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I my my grandfather and my father like they they still see people they went to high school with. Yeah. And have varying levels of connection with them. That's wild to me. And to <laughs> me, I'm thinking in terms of people that I still stay in even loose contact with from high school there's not many yeah hardly any unless you're counting i follow them on you know i'm friends with them on facebook and i see what's going on in their lives now one of them happens to be my cousin so i occasionally see her in family contexts but you know sure i I just and even even college friends because i'm now i graduated from college in 1995 so i'm 
25 years removed from college. I still keep in touch with some friends from college, but I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily super close with sure. many of them. And um, uh, this is this is sort of a side note here. Um, one of the cool things about being a professor that I never anticipated is that many of my closest friends now are former students. <laughs> I, I never anticipated that happening, but that has become true. Yeah, that's it's been fun from the other side of the table to be your former student and yeah. to be counted among your friends. Um, <laughs> Indeed. What about social media? How do you think that impacts the whole friendship thing? I mean, I, I think I think it has some benefits and some some harmful pieces of it. So uh, there's an app called Marco Polo, and I have a friend who's a pastor in upstate New York, uh, who I every every couple of weeks will. Um, just sort of shoot a message to it's a video messaging uh, app and you sh- mm-hmm. I'll shoot him a message and like hey how's life here's what's going on here here's what's happening at Grace he's a Grace grad so here's what's going on at Grace uh, the college and the seminary here's what I'm thinking about what are you guys doing and it's a good opportunity to catch up so in that way social media is a helpful way uh, to keep in touch um, is that really social media there though that that seems more like a direct communication sort of yeah. thing so you're thinking more Twitter Facebook. Yeah, Instagram, those kind of the big, the big social media platforms. Yeah, I would say they're somewhat helpful, but probably mostly unhelpful in okay. that, like, I can figure out what's going on in somebody's life without actually having a conversation with them. And yeah, I just I think conversations are probably better. And I'll add, by just basing it on what you see on social media, you're getting what that person wants to present to the world as what's going on in their life, which is only a, in many cases, a relatively carefully curated, selective presentation sure. of their life. Um, there's a there's an author out of New York. She used to be at Hofstra. She was at NYU for a while, but her name's Donna Freitas, and she's done some research on social media and one of the quips she has from her book the happiness effect was um social media we present the best version of ourselves mm-hmm. that's true typically. And, and we as in others we look at the best version of themselves and we measure it against the worst version of ourselves that we know and so it can yeah. it can lead somewhat to depression at, at some level sure sure absolutely um what do you think um well, there's uh, there's one more thing I think you wanted to hit on, I guess, on the threats to friendship or just yeah, challenges. Um, I think there can be an over-focus on romantic relationships um, that we're, we're so absorbed uh, with looking at roman- uh, romantic uh, entanglements that, that we're not interested in friendships that are going on mm-hmm. um, around us. Um, and, and I think of, uh, we struggle to even think about intimacy between friends uh, without thinking it's romantic in some way. Yeah. Uh, I use the example of uh, a few years ago, I read the Alexander Hamilton biography that the musical is based on. Mm-hmm. And his family has uh, hidden letters um, from between him and, and one of his friends. Uh, because the language is so intimate that viewed through today, it, I think it would construe him as... as probably having at least some kind of homosexual feelings mm-hmm. and uh, his family was on didn't want that out there so, right. so they've they've held that back and so we, we we can't imagine intimacy unless it's sexual or romantic right um, and so I, th- I think that's a um, harmful thing to friendship yeah agreed agreed and even you know when you um, I mean that that comes up actually in the passage about 
David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18. All the time. That's completely yeah. misread now through modern lenses as they had romantic feelings towards each other when that's clearly not what's in view. Yes. We have to be able to have deep intimacy uh, between friends without it being sexual or romantic. Right. Yeah. Now, um, why is it you think pastors sometimes struggle or people in ministry leadership struggle with friendship? Yeah. Um, most of them are pretty awkward. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm just kidding. Wow. Okay, just a reminder that the views of John Sloat do not necessarily reflect the views of Matt Harmon. Um, no, I, th- I think most of them in leadership positions don't feel as though they can be fully vulnerable with, with people in their church, but they also feel this sense of, I must spend more time with people in my church and must be friends with them and can't necessarily fully share themselves with them. Yeah, and I think that um, there is a sense in which, understandably so, it's unwise, it, and, and, and actually it's unbiblical for a pastor to share everything yeah. with someone in their congregation. There might be confidential situations that it would be unwise and unbiblical to mm-hmm. share. And yet, then the question becomes, who does that pastor have to talk to to be able to even express their struggles and challenges and frustrations or even just to spend time with who who can get who gets it who who understands what it's like to be them so i think that you know sometimes um that can make pastors and ministry leaders feel very lonely even if they might have a lot of friends in terms of people they connect well with in their congregation but there's just that whole area of their life and struggles that they cannot um, give access to to someone in their congregation. And I think this is where technology can help us, because you can connect with uh, other pastors in other towns, albeit virtually, right? But uh, still be able to connect with them, have friendship with them, be able to talk to them uh, about things that are going on. Um, so I think that's one way in which technology does help. Um, and and I remember I remember being in seminary and thinking, and I had a great group of friends through seminary. I, I was truly br- blessed to be with uh, uh, Zach in Ohio and, and um, Brent here on campus and to, to go through with both those men. And uh, and I remember, I do remember at some point reflecting that like, oh my goodness, there's just no way the three of us are ever going to end up in the same town to to continue this because yeah. we're, we're all going to be in different parts of the country. Sure. Uh, doing different things, and uh, it was a little. It was a sad moment when I when I had yeah. that realization. And so, again, I think that's where technology can help us to stay connected, stay together. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that is one of those benefits. I do think. Um, let's let's think about kind of moving forward, um, thinking about what is it that makes a good friend what are some characteristics of a good friend or how do we pursue becoming better friends what are some thoughts that come to mind as as you've thought about this in terms of ways that we can as individuals grow in this and i think in particular perhaps men need perhaps a little bit more guidance in this than than women i think that's my hunch yeah um one of the things that lewis points out in his chapter on friendship 
is that uh, friendship is always looking at something and then realize somebody that somebody else is looking at the same thing. Yeah. So walking towards something, pursuing something, and then seeing what uh, what other person is also doing that thing, um, and striking up a friendship with that person, um, and then and then realizing that you both have common interests and and going from there. Um, mm-hmm. And, and and beyond that, I think there's a conversation that happens along the way, right? There's uh, there's uh, secrets that are told. There's constructive clash that happens in the midst of those friendships. All those things, I think, are are part of part of a, a good recipe for friendship. Yeah, yeah. I think that when it comes to um, to men, I think men tend to be okay at sort of finding someone to share activities with like, sure. I like going golfing with this guy or we you know we like watching football together or you know it, we like to go hunting or fishing or, or you name the activity but i think where where men often sort of drop the ball is that it doesn't go beyond that that the time together just remains a shared activity and there's no intentional conversation that takes place where it's actually asking one another, how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. You know, how is this situation going? And trying to press in a little bit deeper beyond just, you know, the, the sort of the surface level shared activity kind of kind of friendships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it needs to be taken one step further, right? Right. And I think that that's where intentionality often has to come into play, right? Sure. You know, because you can kind of get by depending on your personality with just, well, yeah, yeah, he's my buddy. And you think, well, have we ever had a really substantive, deep, meaningful conversation about anything not related to whatever activity we share together? If not, then, you know, that's that's a friend of sorts. Mm-hmm. But that I think that falls short of what kind of even the biblical ideal of friendship looks like. Sure, sure. It's it's a, a digging down beneath the surface sort of uh, sort of friendship, yeah. not just an activities based. Although I do think activities is a good place to start, and I, oh, I, I do think men specifically need that. Absolutely, um, they they need something that they're doing. Like Lewis says, looking at a third thing, you know, absolutely and, and moving towards it. Yeah, and I, you know, we've probably at least many of us have had the experience of. <laughs> You know, you can make some parallels between sort of building a friendship and a dating relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Where someone you feel like, whoa, they jump in too quick with the like deep penetrating questions that are like, I don't know you well enough (sighs) to really feel like I can open myself up to you yet. Like, give it some time. Let's build some equity and some trust before I just pry open the doors of my heart and show you what's all in there. Right, and, and I know I know you've experienced, I've experienced this as well, where people come to you and they're just like, oh man, let me ask you this deep, deep question. And I just go, can we talk about sports a little bit first? <laughs> yeah. You know, can, can, yeah. We, can we talk about the weather? Or, you know, you know something along yeah. simpler lines before we take a 10,000-foot plunge? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's more of like a, you know, to use the dating analogy, <laughs> that's more like a fifth or sixth date question, not a first date question. Kind You're not of meeting thing. my parents yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and I think that um, I, I, I think there's just a measure of intentionality. When I think of who my good friends are and what they do well, they show intentionality in terms of 
checking in with me, how am I doing? And um, that that's an area where I feel like that sets apart good friends from friends that are, you know, maybe solid friends, but lack at times some of the depth. Well, at the same time, I, st- I will say I do have friends where I may not have a lot of ongoing contact with them, but then we get together after six months or a year or something like that, and we're able to just kind of pick up where we left off. But in all of those situations, there was a pre-existing period where we were in the same location, sure. shared life experience after life experience together, and then now we're sort of drawing back on that mm-hmm. sort of as the foundation. So it's not like we have to have this constant ongoing contact, but six months later we can dive right back in and be like, oh, yeah, let's open up to each other. Let's share what we're struggling with, what we're excited about, what's going on. Yeah, yeah. No, those are those are certainly good relationships for sure. Um, any recommendations on resources about friendship? Yeah, I came across a couple of articles that we'll post links to um, – Two, one, one's actually a Barna report on terms of the, some of the statistics about friendships. And then there's an article by a guy named John Knox, who I'm not familiar with, and not to be confused with the Scottish reformer, um, about the decline and revival of friendship in America. Uh, not a Christian article per se, but lots of good insights about friendship. And we'll, so we'll, we'll link to those two for sure. And um, – there's a book that I was made aware of in doing research for this that I had not heard of uh, by a guy named Drew Hunter, who's actually a pastor here in the Indianapolis area, not too far away from us, that's called uh, Made for Friendship, The Relationship That Halves Our Sorrows and Doubles Our Joys. Hmm. So I, I can't speak to it myself. It's been pretty positively reviewed on the Gospel Coalition, and it is now on my need-to-get-and-read list. Hmm. And there's a couple other uh, New York Times articles from from your boy. Oh, uh, uh, David. David Brooks. Yeah, yeah love me your some man David. crush. Yeah, I, I like David yeah. Brooks. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll, we'll link to those. And uh, if you haven't used up your five articles a month for the New York Times website, then you can actually read them. Um, so. I, I'd also mention uh, C.S. Lewis in his book The Four Loves has a great essay on friendship. Uh, and then just to get some different literature in there, Ralph Waldo Emerson has a great poem on friendship okay. as well. That begins a, a, a ruddy drop of manly blood, which is <laughs> a fantastic okay. start to a poem. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, one of the components of our friendship is our mutual love for sports. That's right. And we are at episode 35, which means we need to discuss our athlete. Yeah. Um, do you want to do you want to run us through who who wore thirty five, or big names that wore thirty five, or do you, would you like me to? Um, why don't you work through them and then I'll 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 add our Ohio State uh, nominee. Okay, well, uh, the first on our list, Kevin Durant uh, wore thirty five, and the, I assume is going to wear thirty five again. For I the, assume for the so, Nets. Um, unless he wants to really mess with us and wear a different number, and then we got to talk about him twice. Um, Jersey sales, he might choose to go a different. Jersey route. sales. Uh, Frank Thomas. The Big Hurt. The Big Hurt, um, known for his commercials. Yes. Uh, Yogi Berra, the, the great Yankee catcher. Yes. Probably better known for his um, way his uh, way with the English language than yeah. he is for <laughs> his baseball skill. Although he was quite the baseball player. He was a really good baseball player. Very good. Uh, yeah. Justin Verlander, the great 
Astros pitcher. Formerly with the Tigers. Formerly yeah. with the Tigers, yep. Uh, and Tommy John, I, I think one of the more interesting names on the list this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the great, not great pitcher, but but suitable pitcher um, who uh, is famous for having a surgery on the elbow named after yeah, him. Yeah, he had an interesting career, but um, yeah, the the surgical procedure that was performed on him, I don't know if he was the very first pitcher to have it, but... Yeah, first or second. Yeah, so maybe the first successful one. Right, and I, I, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't explain what they're doing there. But to, it, like that has become known as a kind of surgery when a pitcher has an arm injury. Like they'll say, "Oh, he's having Tommy John surgery." Mm-hmm. So, uh, our our uh, Ohio State um, athlete wearing number thirty five, Matt Wilhelm. Linebacker from 1999 to 2002, so he was on their national championship team. Okay, he was a an outstanding linebacker. He was nicknamed the Kaiser. Yeah, I was about to say quite German there, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, he was nicknamed the Kaiser. So, well, who are you leaning towards here, John? Um, well, I I don't feel particularly drawn to any of them, which makes me go, okay, who's the most unique here? Okay, and it feels like it's Tommy John for me. Yeah. Do you like Tommy? Yeah, I I think that, um, again, he was from such an, uh, a bygone era, right? He pitched from 1963 to 1989. Yeah, he, pit- he pitched for quite a long time. That That's unheard of. And th- you, you will not see that again. You will not see pitchers pitching 26 years in the majors. And uh, currently resides in Terre Haute, Indiana? Yeah, yeah, not too far away. So... Um, and what was his career record? You had his career record uh, numbers pulled up there. 288 wins and 231 losses. Oh, just fell short of 300. I know, 12. Yep. Yeah. But, yeah, I think uh, since we don't have a strong pull towards any of the others, I, I think that— uh, Tommy John's I, our guy. I think Tommy John is our guy. Do you have any teams that he played with listed there? Uh, yeah, I got them Yankees, all. Yankees. He played with the Yankees. He had know. two stints with the Yankees. Well, uh, when you play 26 years, you're probably going to cycle through you can, the Yankees you, yeah. twice. <laughs> so he got he got to start with the Indians, uh, White oh, Sox. The fact that he pitched for the Indians will make <laughs> Nate in Ohio very happy. Um, just two seasons, 63 and 64. Uh, the Dodgers, uh, the Angels, and the Athletics as well. Okay. Yeah. The Yankees twice. So Tommy John it so is. Four-time All-Star. Only a four-time All-Star? Four-time All-Star. Yeah, 68, 78 through 80. Okay. He pitched 26 years and only made the All-Star team four <laughs> times. Wow. What a workman kind of guy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we are on to our one thing we liked. Who wants to go first? Do you want me to go first? Do you want you? Uh, I can go first. Okay. Um, our church uh, did something this weekend that I, I don't think I've ever seen before. Uh, but basically, after service, uh, food trucks pulled up, and uh, you were able to go get a meal at a food truck and enjoy it with your small group or friends at church. And uh, so we were calling it Food Truck Sunday. Yeah, um, and it was a great addition to uh, to a great Sunday service. Yeah, normally we do a um, a church picnic around this time of year, and the traditional sort of people bring different potluck dishes and mm-hmm. such, and that has its own merits, to be sure. Sure, but uh, this was a nice COVID-friendly alternative. And it was very good. I think you can make the case it might be worth replacing the picnic with this, though. 
The lines were pretty long. The lines were pretty long. Uh, maybe a couple more food trucks. Yeah. But um, all that to say, it was delightful. I'd like a coffee food truck there um, <laughs> okay. to get my afternoon fix. Uh, that's my only request. Okay. But uh, but uh, but it was it was a fantastic. I, I enjoyed. it. I hope it becomes a tradition. Well, you spoke of a side hustle. Maybe that's your side hustle. Maybe that's my the, side the hustle. Coffee truck. Uh, there is one in town, actually. Is there? Uh, Driveline Coffee, I want to say it's called. But yeah, there, there, at least there used to be one. Yeah, they had an old, uh, an old uh, Volkswagen van that okay. they were making coffee out of. Okay. Well, my one thing I liked is uh, just uh, this past weekend, my wife and I finished watching through the TV series Friday Night Lights. We had never watched it before. Oh, I don't think I've ever watched through before. So it ran for five seasons back from like 2006 to 2011. And, um, you know, just a heads up, there's some occasional content that uh, you might want to fast forward through or, or pause past, you know, just kind of skip past. But is, it, is that where Michael B. Jordan got his start? Yeah. Yeah. He comes in about season three, I think. Okay. So not at the start. But uh, yeah, we finished that out and you know, it's part of what attracted us is our love for football and sports. But, sure. Um, yeah, I think the, the one of the interesting things about that series is they took a lot of sort of stereotypes of characters. You know, you've got the football coach, you've got the um, you, know, you get the jock, you got the nerd, and all these different. But they developed these characters pretty significantly beyond those sort of stereotypes. So I, th- I think overall the character development was interesting and. Hmm. Yeah, it was a good watch, so um, we enjoyed it. Well, we have reached the end here of episode 35. Yeah, I think we have. 35, John. Can you believe this? Yeah, it's a good barometer for where we're at in the year or two. You know, we haven't missed a week. Yeah, we are trying to be the Cal Ripken of the podcast world. Yeah, that's right. uh, We've got a long way to go to get to Cal Ripken's numbers. So um, I'm ready to call Mission Accomplished, aren't you? I think so, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, I am willing to say that uh, we have accomplished what we set out to do, covering our various and sundry topics. And so, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.